You're listening to the Unsung Podcast, where we talk about classic albums and decide if they deserve that distinction. And we also talk about some unsung classics in the hopes of bringing them to a new audience. And at the end of it all, we let you decide if we are right or wrong. This is the Unsung Podcast. Episode 36 of the Unsung Podcast. On last week's episode, we were talking about the record Iron Maiden by the band Iron Maiden, and that particular Iron Maiden record is not being seen as representative of the band, and therefore the public have decided that it does not make it into our discography. So thank you very much to everybody who listened and everybody who voted. On this episode, we will be discussing A Healthy Distrust by Sage Francis. You are listening to the heartbeat of the sage. Sage possesses the newest and most revolutionary advance in split-second presentation, as well as split-second calculation. To protect the future of America, the defense technique... Hi, you're listening to the Unsung Podcast. I am your host, Mark Fraser, and I'm joined by two men whose pants are so tight they are redefining what the word moose knuckle means. (laughs) Oh... Uh, well, I was greeted by a topless man to the right of me when I entered uh, his abode 10 minutes ago. And David, that was quite the sight. <laughs> David timed it just right to get here uh, for when I'd removed my shirt. It was getting kind of cold, so I'd had it off for ages waiting on him getting here. But <laughs> I could attest to that. <laughs> eventually. So eventually. I sit into my... Then sit in, <laughs> I'm speechless after seeing it. Sitting to my right is uh, Glasgow's almost Vladimir Putin a body double is Chris Kusak <laughs> I've been working on my glutes and lats yeah. and my, my glocks and you look really ripped twats. but really ripped from far away but you're right there you wow. just look like you've got a small body I don't know <laughs> how's the horse riding coming along <laughs> a lot of acid <laughs> uh, sitting to my left is David Weaver who to compensate uh, for Boris Yeltsin's body double. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, carry on. Um, uh, it's probably funnier than anything I had to I had to say. Yeah, you, there you go. Right, crack on. I'll keep a low profile this week anyway. I played myself. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. So this week we are doing a record. What record is that? Mark? We're doing a healthy distrust by Sage Francis. And I'm going to be in the back seat playing my Game Boy. Because <laughs> yes. it's a hip hop album. So isn't you it? guys drive us to whatever destination <laughs> we're going to, please. Well, that's fine. That's, I think that's what's going to end up happening. So, yeah. Are we oh, there yet? Like Sage Francis, I like this record. Yeah, it's a good record, man. Uh, why did you choose it? Uh, you talked about it with the Alan Maiden thing, and we've all spoke about this before, this phenomenon that we always keep coming across, and it's the first, it, was, it was the first Sage Francis record that I heard. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's written a bad album. Um, there are some that aren't as good as this. All of them I don't think are as good as this. I think one of the things that, uh, that annoys me a bit about hip-hop is the fact that because a lot of different producers get involved in it, um, it can sometimes, whole records can start to sound a little bit disjointed, like there's nobody really driving, if yeah. that makes sense. I think this one's got a really a really dark, almost kind of paranoid atmosphere throughout the whole thing. I know he's Sort of in keeping with the title. Yeah, and yeah, he's listed on the credits as being executive producer, despite the fact there's a lot of different producers in every single song. Mm-hmm. It's clear that his vision's held it together. What's quite interesting about that is it's quite in stark contrast to his first album, Personal Journalist, which has some of the similar feel on some songs, but it's just nowhere near as refined. And later stuff, again, the executive producer role is very much the way you would describe it, but 
This one is, I think, the most succinct one. I think it's got the greatest concentration of really good songs, really good songwriting, and really interesting lyrics as well. Okay. He, he's an interesting guy. Yeah, he is. I met him last year at Doing the Rabbit Hole. He was with, uh, he's doing that Epic Beard Men yeah. duo with uh, B. Dolan. Mm-hmm. Is it Epic Beard Men or Epic Beardy Men? Epic Beard Just Men. Beard. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> back in your pit, Chris. <laughs> and they're quite intimidating men. Yeah, they are physically. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it's really bloody lovely. As intimidating as me when you arrived in it. Right, well, nothing is quite as intimidating as that. God, I never knew those muscles could twitch. <laughs> <laughs> I've met Pete Dolan, and he is he's quite the character. He's quite the imposing character mm-hmm. for sure. Also, met stage and. It was after he'd played and he was just he was just he was just really lovely, you know, full of smiles and, and just being a good guy. I think he was high. <laughs> <laughs> what? Is that your comment on hip hop culture there, Chris? That's my comment on hip hop culture. Do you think he was high? Well, there's a lot of rumours going around. I don't know if this is actually true, but he plays a bit with it a lot in his songs and stuff, so I can never really tell. But there's a lot of rumours going around that on this record he was straight edge. I don't know if he actually is straight edge. But he does make a lot of drink. He makes a lot of references to drinks, drinking drugs. He's vegan from the first person. Well, that makes sense. He's a vegan activist. Yeah. I know that because he's done stuff for PETA. Yeah, he's yeah. So probably wasn't high. No, I think that's bullshit. I think he was almost definitely high. Uh, well, the great thing about being vegan is that you basically feel high from moral superiority <laughs> the entire time. It's absolutely fantastic. Spoken like a true vegan. Mainline smugness. It's an absolute <laughs> fucking dream. All the blood rushes to your glow. <laughs> um, I mean, I think if you're going to culturally appropriate, you might as well smoke weed while you're doing hip hop. <laughs> I, I, I mean, that's a, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, that's a, a thing that Sage Francis had to deal with. Working in a black world and a black culture. Yeah, I don't know if this has ever been referred to as a black world. <laughs> <laughs> not the hip hop world. world. Yeah, not a, yeah, not the universe. Was that reference and um, what is it? Under, is it Underground for Dummies on this next record, The Chairman of the Death Dance? I can't remember the name of the songs, but anyway, there's a lyric on it which specifically talks about that, about how like one manager told him to completely like not mention or make any reference to the fact that it was white, and another guy was saying you should totally exploit it. Let's go back to that. What about some background on this, your lad? A lad? What do you want to know about him? <laughs> well, Just he the was general born <laughs> Paul William Francis, not yeah. Sage. I like it when means. you call me Paul. It's a song, um, it's a lyric from a new Epic Beard Mini P. Providence, Rhode Island, uh, in the States on November the 8th, 1976. I once drove through Providence. Did you? Yeah. Um, I expected it to be grandiose and somewhat overwhelming because of the Godspeed You Black Emperor track and it was not. I think, yeah, I think that's <laughs> a recurring theme from, the, from artists that come from that area. I know that um, it's really interesting. One thing it used to do is it used to always say the birth of 1968. Mm-hmm. So like, Life is Easy DVD is 1968 to 2005. I don't know why it used to always fake his date of birth. It was just a weird thing. I've got it as 76. It is not, it's like, cause it, doesn't line out, it doesn't line up with the age that he says he is in one of the songs, like 1968, def- or 1963, one or the other, but it doesn't line up with his actual age. Maybe but it's role-play. Yeah. Maybe it's role-play. Yeah. It's like he plays a character in some of his songs, because it's all Is he a black rapper? No. <laughs> <laughs> so he's got two degrees, yeah. one in communication and the other in journalism. Pretty um, smart guy, by all accounts, yeah. Mm-hmm. His lyrics are good. His lyrics are good. Yeah, yeah. How do you feel about his lyrics, Chris? <laughs> I think they're good. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a he's got a very strong flow. Would you go with that? One of the strongest. Consensus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, slight. What did you think of this album, Chris? Uh, it's it's hard to have an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not known for having strong opinions, and I find it even harder. I uh, know that is true. You're very much the man in the middle. It's like the I can see you, sitter extraordinaire. Like I can see you out at sea waving your arms. <laughs> I go back to the last hip hop record that we talked about, and the last hip hop record that Mark brought yeah, it was, to uh, the circle was never, uh, POS. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I. What did you think of this compared to that? Because you really liked that POS record and you were just kind of surprised by it. Yeah, I, th- I thought that was a lot more interesting. Um, I what thought, way? Uh, the instrumentation seemed more creative. I don't really have much of an ear for flow, but I did naturally enjoy listening to it more. 
um, I felt it was a little bit less heavy-handed with lyricism at times. Uh, sometimes Sage Francis is just too on the nose, or he's just totally over eggs a pudding. It's just not to say he doesn't have really good moments, but somehow it really doesn't work for me. Yeah, I, f- I find POS all altogether a bit more compelling, and yeah, I mean, I think I think as you can probably tell that this whole this album, with all the albums that we do, I try to find an angle. And the rabbit hole that I tumbled down in this was cultural appropriation. I just, there was aspects of Sage Francis and of this record and other records uh, that I'm kind of ambivalent about. I don't really, I'm, I'm trying to be devil's advocate. I don't know necessarily how I feel about it, but I know that I have a feeling about it that I'd like to maybe explore a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think it's an interesting subject. Um, but uh, yeah, it's all right. I will almost certainly never listen to them again. Okay. This was the record that got me in hip-hop initially. The only hip-hop I, I'd really listened to before that, before this, was Eminem, Dr. Dre. Okay, and, and that I, didn't get you into hip-hop? No, I did not. Well, I, I did own the first two Eminem records. Yeah. As a wee guy, I thought they were pretty cool, but then... As then I you realised he was a white man rapping, <coughs> and it was cultural appropriation. <laughs> that didn't bother me so much <laughs> at the time, because I didn't really know much about that at the age that I was listening to it. But as I grew older, I started to feel, I started to really feel that his lyrics were just not that great. Mm. And as I got more into, you know, reading books and just generally taking a degree in literature, I was like, this guy's not really got it for me. I can kind of see what Chris is saying in terms of some lyrics being in the nose. I think a lot of hip-hop artists do that. Whether it's knowing or not, I'm not entirely sure, probably isn't. But I think a lot of, a lot of artists do revert back to kind of type almost when it comes to the lyrics and the kind of phrases or patterns of writing that they kind of keep coming back to. The hams over and over again and even a lot of my favourite hip-hop artists do it. The only exception maybe to that rule is maybe Aesop Rock. Mm-hmm. But his his flow, if you want to put it that way, is like, fuck it, here's a fucking white guy talking about hip-hop. I feel so fucking, I feel, I feel extra white just now. Hey, I'm, um, I'm fucking DJing a Kendrick Lamar after yeah. party tonight. <laughs> So if you want, you know, this is white men doing things they shouldn't be doing. I'm basically transparent so, right now. Yeah. <laughs> but for me, I don't know, this this record really bought into the paranoid atmosphere of the music that I was trying to get into at the time. It's a very political record. Yeah, and I, and think I was it's... into that at the time, yeah. All for the sake of military recruitment. Kent State, the way they targeted the students. I galloped off, whistling Ohio. The rest of them stuck doing stand up at a cricket convention. Who would they die for? It, it's well, funny. He, he said that he described it as a political record and said that it was a bit reflecting uh, distrust of the government and big businesses. Yeah, it's properly post nine eleven stuff. Like it's very much of its time. Yeah, it's anti Republican, but it's like anti Bush Republican. It's funny you should mention the post nine eleven thing though, because the track Makeshift Patriots really was his breakthrough. Uh, yeah, which was like came out uh, exactly a month after September eleventh, mm-hmm. October eleventh, two thousand and one. That's, that's an interesting one, I think, because it has some really, really excellent wordplay. It's got like that that line, don't wave your rights with your flags, mm. is a really compelling and insightful and succinct bit of uh, poetry. Yeah, I, it's like it, he's almost seen it in the future as to what was about to happen with the Patriot Act and stuff at the time, you know, and he kind of he kind of got it right there and then. Yeah, I mean, I just I just think it's, a, it's also just a really great bit of writing. Although in that song itself, there's other lines that I find a wee bit more kind of problematic where he talked about the, the American media casting a typically dark-skinned Disney villain, I think is the lyric. Which is kind of like, well, it was him. <laughs> it's not like the media have made Osama Bin Laden, it's not like the media have falsely portrayed Osama Bin Laden as the villain here. It's like, it was Osama Bin Laden. He went on TV regularly and quite happily admitted it. So I think it's like a... If that's what it means, yeah, but I mean, I think you look at the well. long-term... You know, the media's not looking at the long-term build-up of jihadism and uh, well, that's what it's exactly what the song's about though i mean the song is all about like american foreign policy and there's there's a lot of validity to that but there's also a lot of kind of enabling bullshit around that as well it's difficult to find like a kind of tenable middle ground between the camps on that one i don't think like the line in it where he says we don't know who the culprit is yet but he looks like this they knew who the 19 hijackers were pretty early on. So it's it's like that kind of thing where he's swinging too far to the kind of, 
I don't want to use the phrase social justice because it's such a fucking so loaded now. But he's swinging too far to say it's like, like this. These are the guys who did it. I don't even necessarily think that's a relevant thing to bring up in that song. I get where he was going for, but I think it's sort of. It, it was a big indicator of where a lot of his fan base was going to come from going forward. Um, so I don't know, like that song kind of sits weird to me. I think it's it's relevant. It, it, it obviously the, it caused a huge splash. Something I think is really interesting to come out of that though, because he's he's very critical of the American government. You're right, he's very critical of foreign policy, which is totally fair enough. Because American foreign policy has got a lot to be there's a lot to be ashamed about. He I noticed he's done some high profile interviews with RT. Yeah. In Russia Today, which is propaganda channel from from mm. Moscow, um, set up and overseen by the Russian government, starring Al- Alex Salmond. Starring to his eternal shame, Alex Salmond. Uh, I think he's got a few more things to be ashamed <laughs> of now. Been in the post, I think. Um, and George Galloway, another stellar human being, um, who just so happens to denounce many aspects of like Western policy and then get awarded a show on RT mm. uh, just like Julian Assange <laughs> so like stand up guys so, so quality people to be aligned with and so I, I think seeing Sage Francis on it I was like alright it was a while ago it was before the reality of RT really set and I mean Frankie Boyle was on it yeah I think people um, were just interested that it was a alternative yeah, there voice was a alternative viewpoint and it's it's encouraging to see that he's not been on it since because RT is really pretty inexcusable to, to the to every bit the extent of the likes of Fox News. Uh, but anyway, what I was kind of curious about was like, why are RT interested in this guy? Like, why Sage Francis? And I think it's that self-immolating inward criticism that he directs towards the American government on the back of these. And I, I think, don't get me wrong, I think a lot of that is commendable. Um, but I think it's interesting to see how it's rewarded by stations like RT when somebody does make such a point of criticising their own government. Um, I don't think you'll get RT getting Kid Rock on for interviews anytime soon. But I, I, that that was just a kind of, I'm just throwing that in there. I just thought it was an interesting thing and I see it, but it is strange to see sometimes in retrospect what kind of bedfellows yeah. that affords you. Speaking of, speaking of the song Makes of Patriot, what did you think of Slowdown Gandhi on this? Um, it's probably the most overtly political song on the record. Well, I think it's like the sort of flag bearing song on this record. Yeah, it is overtly, you know, political and stuff. Like, I had to promise that I'd stop holding my marches the day that Chris Columbus got crucified on golden arches. I quite like that line. Talks about McDonald's. <laughs> That's cool, isn't it? I think there's a lot to like in that. Song. <laughs> I think there's a lot to like in that. Talking song, about personally. McDonald's is cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's the down with the kids Saying that it's bad No that's like I think this song is maybe the one that's like At it's angriest You know With I I mean he he started an organisation called Nomore.org didn't he Which is like A kind of corporate watch thing To monitor the behaviour Of certain American corporations And kind of bring Nefarious practices to public light Mm -hmm. And he's also done some stuff in South Africa Working for HIV charities and stuff the, the, The no more dog things consistent with a lot of his criticisms of things like McDonald's and stuff. I'm like totally on board with that as well. I, I don't have any qualms with that at all. For his creative voice has become a lot like, like musically has become a lot less political after this record. Human the Death Dance. Life, Copper Gone, lots of stuff. We, it's really interesting as well because uh, one of the record, the record I almost picked. Looking at it, that life is more specifically against religion than it is against government. Well, kind of. There's a lot of uh, uh, songs about that on it. There's also a couple of his best songs on it which don't talk about religion at all, like Little Houdini and The Best of Times. Um, the best, the best track in life, I think, is Three Sheets to the Wind. It's a good song. Um, that's an interesting record in terms of what he tried to do with it as well. Like, try to get like indie musicians to come in and actually, and you get Yanti or someone who you'd always wanted to have in a song. 
Well, apparently um, Andy Culkin at Epitaph had been suggesting to him for like the first two or three records to try and use a live band, and he'd kind of resisted it. He only used wee elements, but then finally, real life, they got was it Califone is the alt country band that they got, yeah. and they'd one of the guys for Death Cab and one of the guys for Granddaddy. Yeah, Chris their, Willard and was that guy. Andy, I don't know, but they yeah. were in on the writing for it as well. Yeah. Actually, I, I think life's a better record than this. If I'm being honest, I, I tried to go back through some of his catalogue. I found it more interesting. Although with all of the Sage Francis stuff, just going to put this out there, I do sometimes get a bit of deja vu to a time back when I was listening to Fun Loving Criminals. Okay, daddy, free John Gotti. Hi, Chris just had to get his MOT on his car, uh, which in Britain is the test that means your car can go on the road. It cost him loads of money. We, we did get a row from a listener for explaining aspects of British culture and that it might be insulting to the intelligence of people who have Google. Are we overcompensating? Yeah, but why does anybody want to Google MOT? <laughs> uh, I, wa- I wonder what MOT is. Oh, no, it's just gone straight to motherboard vice. Oh, I don't care. M- Mott the Hoople will probably come up. Oh, yeah, that's true. Uh, no, but seriously, uh, we, thanks very much for all your uh, donations. We've got brand new XLRs today. We've got our own headphones. We only needed to borrow one, uh, mic stand. one mic stand today. That's all we needed to borrow. But we do have costs for hosting and website stuff. And We're back at so. that point like after you get your Christmas bonus, whereby like two weeks later you've squandered it all. And you're like, oh shit, I still have rent to play. <laughs> so um, thanks very much for all your donations. But if you want to donate once more, then please do. The website is... Unsung.net <laughs> forward slash donate. Yeah, that's it. Easy to remember, I guess. Unless you're Unless you're I think yeah, we, when he was touring, on, well initially when he was touring, a um, personal journalist, he was touring with a live band. You can hear that on uh, Road Tested, sort of compilation. And that's also, I think that's a joke that he makes. One of the songs as well started out with a live band and worked with turntables and it ended up just becoming a guy who would basically turn up to shows all by himself and just play samples and just that would be it. Like CD player sort of shit. Like that's that on the voicemail bomb threat track actually on this record. Personal journal, you know, it's hot. Yeah, it's not anymore. You're fucking bullshit. Fucking MC with a fucking CD player. Yeah, come to my town. Yeah, give me all your hat and about how you're gonna stall fucking me. A guy for slagging him. That's that's weird as fuck. Till did that first though in Onima. They had the voice ma- the the guy who uh, criticised them for. Uh, what was the track in Onima? I can't remember. I think it's really interesting on this record though because it, he talks about on, anyway. <laughs> moving on. On on, on guns, he talks. He kind of talks about that appropriation of black culture and thinking about how like guns are used. Yeah. And then does this track on this, which is clearly some guy trying to start a beef, and he's like, "I don't give a fuck." Gunzio is subtle as a brick. Yeah. At the time, at the time though, it was like, I was there. You know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah, he was there. Mark was there. Mark was in the, tre- but at the, in time, the trenches. Like when you see the mainstream hip hop that this is rallying against, fucking Fifty Cent and stuff, and Eminem and all that like, stuff. Yeah, Fifty Cent is a guy that's coming out and he's showing off. You know his fucking bullet wounds. You know he's an absolute fucking nugget. So this really is fucking high class shit compared Qu- to that. White splaining hip hop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think Sage yeah, pl- Francis has a lot more in common with Public Enemy than fucking Fifty Cent does. Yeah, yeah I, the production I, is pure. And his yeah. colour has nothing to do with it. Gunjo is it's, it's fine, it's good. Um, 
way I hold it to the grill A homophobic rapper Unaware of the graphic nature of phallic symbols Tragically ironic Sucking off each other's gaps and pistols I got more back issues than guns and ammo I applaud the sentiment, I just, some of the lines in it was, uh, I'd written one down, unaware of the graphic nature of phallic symbols, tragically ironic, sucking off each other's gats and pistols. If you think about, if you think about <laughs> that in terms of people, like 50 cent at the time and that's all you're seeing, that was a huge thing, railing against that. Yeah. That's yeah, what, I know, I know. There's but, a lot of songs in the record though which are can, a lot more fun. Like, can, I, can I ask a question, right, I'm kind of hypothesising here a wee bit, but, um, so you said that this was the first hip-hop you got into. Yeah. Right. Coincidentally, this is the first hip hop that Epitaph ever signed. Yeah. As well as him obviously uh-huh. appearing on Bad Religion's album, but that was a I'm guessing that was after you'd gotten him. Um No, it was before. I'm that was on the Empire Strikes first, which is the year before this. That came out. Let the meat war. Yeah, which um, is a good song. So, I, why was he the first hip hop artist to sign to Epitaph? I don't actually know. Like, I, I got into him because <coughs> somebody white somebody recommended the record to me, and that's how I got into him. So, I didn't know about the Epitaph thing until after I'd heard it. So, Epitaph were actively looking out for hip hop artists of any ethnic background. Then, possibly, I don't know. I don't know. Just so happens that the first hip hop artist <laughs> was one of the very few. Successful white hip hop artists in the world. Very few successful compared to, I don't know, Eminem. The other white hip hop <laughs> artist. <laughs> there, was a lot, there was lots of other white, hip, white, white hip hop artists kicking around this time as well. Like you had LP, you had Ace of Rock, Atmosphere. Kid Rock. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, oh, and how many black hip hop artists were there kicking about at this time? So many. <laughs> exactly. One of them's playing next week, is it? Mars is playing next week. Mars. Yeah. yeah. Look at you. He's look, at, look at this deflection here. So My saying. point is that Epitaph, a predominantly white label doing punk and rock, managed to make their first hip hop signing a white guy. You can also look at it in the sense though that like he's a very he's a very punk adjacent kind of DIY kind of guy, he always has been. So the ethos wise they kind of aligned. Okay, <laughs> I'm just posing the question, man. I don't have an answer to the question, so I honestly don't know. Can we, we go to the Nexus, by the way? Oh yeah, let's go to the Nexus. Let's go to the Nexus then. Uh, uh, oh, how's it sounding? Oh my god, the music! Please, listeners, can somebody? I don't care how bad it is. Can someone just submit something? Fritz, you'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> submit something. You're musical. Yeah, do it. But for now, here's this. Here's, here's this. <laughs> That was very good. Well done. Don't patronise me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think your heart's okay, in anymore. Who's, who's going first? Do you have one, Chris? I don't have one. You don't have one? No. Do you want to do the short one or the long one? Is there just one related to Epitaph? Nope. Okay. You want me to do the short one? You do the short one. So, as we've already mentioned, he's on Let Them Eat War by Bad Religion. And Bad Religion's a guy called Brian Baker who plays guitar. Brian Baker was also part of a project called Teenage Time Killers. Which is a supergroup by a guy from My Ruin, a guy from Corrosion of Conformity. My Ruin? Yeah. Holy fuck, I haven't heard that name for a long time. <laughs> they, released, they released their... Uh, Tari B, I think I had a poster of her up in my room when I was a small masturbator. <laughs> <laughs> they released their first album called Grace Hits Volume 1 in the late 2000s. And Dave Grohl sings on that record, so there's Brian Baker play guitar. So There you are. Mm. Pretty good. Do you want mine? Do you want yeah. to hear the extended Hang on, version? I need, to, I, need to, I need to fucking roll the window down. We're going to go here for a long ride. <laughs> so Sage Francis, uh, he won the Super Bowl MC battle in Boston in 1999, oh. beating the MC Esoteric. Mm-hmm. Esoteric. Esoteric then, about 25 years later, uh, joined a hip-hop supergroup called Sarface, uh, featuring uh, 7L and Inspector Deck from the Wu-Tang Clan. Uh, Wu-Tang Clan? At some point, did some work with Kanye West. Kanye, he was featured on a Ghostface Killer remix, and then Kanye oh, good, did some production with some good Ghostface Killer stories. Oh really? <laughs> oh, I don't even want to know. Put them on once. Uh, uh, Kanye worst, West. I don't worst, know if you remember. Worst use of a Pringles tube ever. Oh, I can't. Oh God. 
uh, Kanye West, uh, I don't know if you heard this, but uh, recently met and chatted to a President Donald Trump. <laughs> uh, and they sort of backed each other up for a bit. Uh, Donald Trump appeared in Home Alone 2. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also featuring Macaulay Culkin. Uh, now, Macaulay Culkin appeared in the music video Sunday by Sonic the rock band Sonic Youth. Uh, now, Sonic Youth collaborated with John Paul Jones of Led Zeppelin in 2009. It was for a soundtrack to a dance company piece in New York or something. And uh, John Paul Jones is also in the band Them Crooked Vultures with Dave fucking Grohl. <laughs> <laughs> hey, those are all strong links. That, yeah. you can't fucking. You could have also went from Kanye to Paul McCartney and then Paul McCartney to the, the Mad Nirvana fucking hat semi. Oh, yeah, I, I think it's worth mentioning that I asked David before we started recording, do you have an excess? He's like, oh no, I don't. Yeah, exactly. I did that while we were sorting out <laughs> the mics. I don't actually up. know how many windows you've got open in your laptop right now. But yeah. That is pretty astonishing. Yeah. Thanks, guys. You work fast. I'm here all day. <laughs> right. Uh, let's. Uh, Play that out. music out and then we'll get to some serious business. better the oh, second yeah. time yeah mm-hmm. i enjoyed that mm. so mark why did you choose this over uh hope the non-profits album yeah that was the one i was going to pick that's a lot more fun that record so right? that's a record that uh, sage francis did before this with joey beats with joey beats yeah. so that was we talked earlier about hip-hop records maybe having that uh, very diverse production mm-hmm. on a record but um hope just had one producer yeah Do you know what? I'd never really listened to that record and I went there thinking I would like it more for that very reason. Um, but I actually didn't really, really enjoy the production on it that much. Oh, that's interesting. I enjoyed the production on Healthy Distrust more. And some of it just sounded a bit more... I actually liked the weird shit yeah. that comes in and like you know the, the, the breaks that mm. sort of give you a bit of space and stuff like that. I might be wrong about this and he may, be, he may very well be listening to this podcast. Um, probably not though. Uh, but I underst- as I understand it, that was like his att- him and Joey B's attempt of like doing like an old school hip hop record, so you can yeah you okay can hear I, that in the I can see that yeah. Um, I think for my for my money, that's got some of the best songs he's ever written on it. Like Damage is an f- absolute banger of a tune. Yeah. Um, Soul's Dance Heart is really weird and funny. There's lots of really good songs on it. The interlude, Mill a Mill a Mill would be ill. It's funny, really funny stuff. Um. I like that record a lot and I almost picked it because it, like this it's got a consistent production which he kind of does after this record for his entire career anyway yeah um, he's kind of he become, he's become really good at doing that uh, but for me it could have been it could have been this or Hope by Non-Profits but I went for this because uh, it's got a bit more energy to it I think got a bit more life in it yeah I think it's got a bit more of that sort of life energy to it yeah so uh, that's their, their attempt at an old school hip hop record. Why I almost picked it, but like that. But some may say that's cultural appropriation. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, do you have anything well, to say about that? Funnily, <laughs> you must have seen the look in my eyes. I did. Yeah. So I mean, I, for me, this is like the elephant in the room with this. Since, as I said, since I, I don't know of, how you can hear it personally. I got the green, but allow me to illustrate. Yeah. So I mean, Sage Francis has a degree in communication and a degree in journalism. He's obviously a really intelligent guy. When I'm listening to it, there's moments in it where I think due consideration hasn't necessarily been given to the language, or if it has, that's the, the judgment I'm questioning. So aside to the fact that there's a track called "Ja Didn't Kill Johnny," as in "Ja," mm-hmm. like the Jamaican, like "Ja," yeah, you know, which I, I think is an odd choice for a white guy to use. That kind of crosses the line into almost like ebonics for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in the song Crumble he, he mentions slave labour which I think is sort of slightly ill-judged and when he says like even the use of words like crib it, they, they just seem like really unnatural 
choices of vocabulary. I think that in the track Mullet, there's uh, there's a lyric about uh, made me not want to act white. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, there was like just these little indicators, and I was like, man, I don't know. I don't know how this sits with me and as I said I am entirely on the fence here so I'm trying to be devil's advocate just to instigate a conversation about it because I think it's worth addressing right so I'd, I kind of looked into that a wee bit and I wanted to have like a little bit of a more informed opinion on it there's been a lot of controversies about cultural appropriation obviously for the last few years very sensitive subject I watched a film called Blacking Up hip-hop's remix of race and identity from 2011 it's actually got Sage Francis in it being interviewed I thought it was a really interesting insight talks to a lot of mem- a lot of members past and present from the hip hop and rap communities they talk about the use of the phrases like wigger wigger it also had a really interesting interview with vanilla ice like no but genuinely mm. a really interesting interview with the guy where he was talking about you know he broke through when he was like 16 or 17 they obviously manufactured the backstory for Vanilla Ice about being from inner city Miami to try and make him seem more legitimate and you know that whole keeping it real uh thing have you ever seen that episode of Louis through where he goes and tries to learn how to rap and yeah. he goes down to the American South and the, again with Master P, it's, it's the guys he meets down there, it's all about keeping it real. When are you keeping it real? When are you not keeping it real? When are you actually going into character? Um, Vanilla Ice described basically how the label were like, we want you to dress like this and he'd refuse and then they'd just incentivize it with huge checks and be like, well this is how much more you're going to get and he'd be like, well he's a kid, he's taking money and obviously Vanilla Ice is a moron but mm-hmm. at the same time there's a kind of corporate aspect to this so that starting to look into that was interesting you mentioned uh, 50 Cent earlier on there was some really interesting reflections on the notion of blackface so blackface started way way back yeah Al Jolson literally shoe polishing his face up and doing this minstrel act and obviously minstrel acts were quite a thing and we had decades and decades of blatant appropriation of black music up through people like uh, Elvis Presley one of the most famous examples to Led Zeppelin. They're really guilty of it. Led Zeppelin especially as they so frequently fail to credit the people whose work they'd appropriated. I think um, there's a whole Wikipedia page about Led Zeppelin tracks Placism. and where they've been taken from and, and who's not credited on them. Custard Pie was a good example. The the lyrics were taken from music by guys like Sleepy John Estes. A uh, whole lot of love. Uh, a lot of the lyrics come from You Need Love by Willie Dixon. And I think they actually lost that in court and had to, to change the, the credit on it. Um, when the levy breaks, uh, is credited to Memphis Minnie, who basically was one of the pioneers of rock music, uh, a black female guitarist. But it doesn't include a credit for Kansas Joe McCoy, who I think was one of the initial writers of that. So through the, the history of early rock music and blues music, there were all these examples of people, their, their culture being appropriated, not, not admired and not uh, given the acknowledgement that it deserved, but appropriated without their credit. There's an interview with Akala, a really, really interesting kind of modern writer and musician. Uh, he's half Scottish, half Jamaican. I think he's based in London. He does a lot of talk shows over here with people like Frankie Boyle. Really interesting guy. Uh, Akala feels that a lot of the conversation around cultural appropriation is slightly misguided. Um, he's not really a big believer in this notion that there should be hard and fast lines, but he does think it's a question of credit and acknowledgement and I think that's where a lot of people have failed is in the credit and acknowledgement area for example in, in that interview he talks about practicing a Chinese martial art and he's like well there's no reason in the world that I shouldn't practice a Chinese martial art as long as I'm not pretending it's a half Jamaican half Scottish martial art you know it's a Chinese martial art and I need to respect its roots and where it came from and he, he's got some really good insight in it but I think the blackface thing has an interesting second tier um, some of the people that are interviewed in that, I think one of the one of the guys from Public Enemy gets interviewed, uh, if I remember rightly, and he was talking about blackface as regards record labels, and I think this is where Sage Francis actually benefits, uh, and Fifty Cent loses out. Now Fifty Cent is a black man, but Fifty Cent is very much the face of a record label that is overwhelmingly white, just as most of the record labels are overwhelmingly white and overwhelmingly male, and so the notion of blackface can be a little bit naive if it's interpreted in too shallow a basis. You have to understand that blackface as an appropriating music and gaining, you know, revenue and success from that music doesn't just stop at the artist itself. It's the people behind the artist. It's the corporation. In his own way, 50 Cent and that culture of encouraging increasingly vapid materialistic hip-hop and rap music to cater 
to to widen in markets, to avoid censorship, to to get on mainstream TV, to get on mainstream radio, to broaden your market, to get to a younger demographic. The the dumbing down of hip hop and rap from, as you said, in its early days when it was a it was the punk rock that came after punk rock when it was the it was the protest music of its time. Just because some of the artists playing that are now superficially black people doesn't mean that the people benefiting the most are black people. In in the cases of these corporations, it's really white people that are benefiting the most. And so blackface, as some of the interviewees in this in this uh, film observe really kind of applies in that case and Sage Francis is a good example of the reverse of that where you have a white man who's rapping in a political capacity and as he fully admits like diminishing his potential audience by doing that especially given uh, the political bias of his beliefs you know he he obviously alienates a lot of people in the right um there was a and I, I just for the sake of it looked on things like Urban Dictionary to try and see what people say about them because it's always quite you get some interesting things and one of them was uh, Sage Francis old and bitter hip hop artist built career on intellectual facade fan base comprised of naive armchair activists and impressionable hipsters and I think it's, it's sort of a good indicator that there are people who are really turned off by the posture and are really turned off by the leftist slanting things just as Eminem when he came out against Trump actually took a huge chunk out of his, his listenership. And actually, I think people like Eminem are the biggest and the most useful vessels for protesting against that. I, I've, I've said this before. I think people like professional wrestlers and rappers and celebrities of that ilk who have a big following in the American South, who have a big following in the Midwest, where literally these opinions don't penetrate, they're the most useful uh, mouthpieces for contradictory opinions and mo- uh, and kind of balanced perspectives and I think that it was actually quite a brave thing that Eminem did even though a lot of people think it was tokenistic I, I disagree so the blackface thing I think is is a really interesting concept because like reverse blackface yeah and, and well blackface in the sense as applied to the, the record labels mm. in this case but I, I respect to Sage Francis for upholding the political nature of the original hip-hop, upholding those standards, pursuing meaning over content and not just riding the wave of hip-hop. I mean, Eminem is, I think in one of his lyrics, he actually, he's quite good at acknowledging this. I mean, he is a gifted rapper, whether or not you like his music, very gifted in some people's opinions. And he's got a lyric that says, if I was black, I would have sold half. So, I mean, they're aware of that. I just think there is... A little bit of a lack of self-awareness sometimes with the way Sage Francis goes about it as well. As I say, some of those lyrics just jarred, just just a wee bit. Um, he openly talks about his influences in songs though, right? Does that across his entire career? Um, have you grown up completely in spoken word and hip-hop circles and you're going to end up adopting a lot of their mannerisms and language just to the, the very nature of it? Are you? From, what, from everybody that I know who's white that's a rapper, they definitely have. Because they've been around that culture, because that's what they like. It's like the Moby thing, like you said, like during the Moby episode. You know, he grew up in a, he grew up in Harlem, so that music was just music to him. It, but it didn't really matter where it yeah, came there, from. There was like, an interesting interview I read in the Fader from a couple of years ago with uh, Mac Miller, who's a white rapper, and Vince Staples, who's a black rapper, and it was about you know race and rap, and a lot of but a lot of it was them finding out about each other because it was just the two of them chatting and I, I think the sort of the agreement that it came to was that it wasn't necessarily basically it was like you could get black rappers that were whiter than some white rappers because uh, it was all to do with culture it wasn't to do with that fight the finality of who these people were wasn't defined by their skin colour so like Vince Staples are we talking about white people that rap or white rappers? Because it's a fucking difference. White rappers are corny. White people that rap, it's like, oh, that's what's up. You white, you rap. So, you know, it's more to do with, like, the culture that you're embedded in and then that how you do it that makes you worthy or not. I mean, I th- and again, in that documentary, Blacking Up, there's perspectives from either side of that. I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think that's sort of... I think that's quite convenient and quite restrictive in its scope. I mean, as as one of the people interviewed says, and I've, there were so many people interviewed in that show, I've forgotten the names, but um, he says, as a white person, that's all very well, but once you start really experiencing police violence, once you start really experiencing discrimination, which is purely superficial, once you start facing death at gunpoint, then you've 
as this guy put it, earned the right to adopt this vocabulary and this art form, which was really born out of struggle, which was really born out of rebellion. He's like, anything other than that, you're singing from a position of privilege where these adversities don't exist for you. No matter how much you think you relate to them and no matter how much you think you grew up around them, you're looking on them from a vantage point where you're you're to some extent and often quite an important extent insulated so you from you are going on record to disagree with yeah. Vin Staples a black rapper who says it's not all white people where I live at it's not all black people where I live at colour has nothing to do with socio-economic background that's a different conversation without the Beastie Boys there'd be no me well I think first of all me quoting a black man is not me going on record as disagreeing with Vince Staples. That's kind no, of no. I thought you were disagreeing. No, with I'm, what I'm, I I'm, I'm said. telling you what was said in this documentary by a black man. And yes, that black man disagrees with Vince Staples, another black man. All right, okay, okay. I think and, that's a slippery slope. To be honest, and there's another. I mean, but at the same time, there's another interview in that. Uh, where he said he, he makes the observation that hip hop is an expression of working class struggle, and he's like, and the, the majority of working class people in the USA are white. So and, and that again is a black man making that observation. So I think there's so many different perspectives in this. It is complicated, but for me on some of it, Sage Francis is it, there's, it's undeniable he is rapping from a position of advantage. Definitely, it doesn't mean he can't say the things he says. Some of the things he says, like Jad didn't kill Johnny, talking about slave labour, the use of words like crib, I find that like slightly patronising when you consider this is a, a highly highly educated white man. I don't know if it's it's really necessary. I think it, it, it's a slide uh, past a certain point. When do we acknowledge that this is a black art form and he is a white man selling a black art form? When do we acknowledge that about rock music, though? The times have changed, right? I mean, hip-hop's been going since the late 70s. To think of it, and it's, to think of it as an exclusively black art form is, well, it's been proven at least over the past 20-25 years to talk about the case. If you want to go back as far back as Vanilla Ice, then I suppose we can. The Beastie Boys of course the late 80s. It's been around. Yeah, and it, well, and as I've said in, invariably what happens is for white artists, head for head they sell more, far more on average than black artists, which is not to say that some of the biggest selling artists haven't been black, but yeah. if you take the number of black artists versus the number of white artists and go head for head mm-hmm. based on how much they're selling it's something that we're very good at misappropriating, just as we did with rock music. I think it's exceptional, though, in the sense that there's not necessarily a vocabulary that's specific to rock music, or at least not now. I mean, Elvis Presley was using a physical vocabulary to some extent yeah. when he was dancing, mm-hmm. and that definitely faded out. I think in this case, Sage Francis is using a literal vocabulary at times, which I think seems like an unnatural fit, and I don't know how aware of that he is. Maybe he is aware of it and maybe he's just the right side of that line. I don't even know if there is a line. I'm just saying it's an interesting subject and especially when you extrapolate it to the extremities of this being such a politicised and such a a racially orientated uh, art form and he is an other within that environment. And I don't think there's any getting away from that. It's... It doesn't mean he's invalid. It doesn't yeah. mean he's illegitimate or shouldn't do it. I just think there are obligations that go along with that. It's it's a factor. There's no point denying it. So, creative, so basically, I suppose the overall kind of thing is that it creates a tension for you, which is hard to resolve. Yeah, yeah. It, it it just it just jars me very slightly, especially on those specific occasions. And I'm sure there's more of a really weighed through his back catalogue. Also, so as I said, w- if I just just finishing, I just also think it's curious. That he's the first hip hop artist signed to Epitaph, a, an almost exclusively white label. So, if he was less socially outspoken and less politically outspoken, would it be less of an issue for you? No, quite the opposite. I think quite the opposite. that's far more legitimate. It's just what you're socially outspoken and politically outspoken about. He makes pretty good use of that. He tends to talk about far more worldly subjects or oh, more, record, more anyway, recently yeah. mm. more intimate subjects. But as I said, there are instances where he's he's use of words. I do think it's an ex- it's a very very interesting topic. It's not one that I feel qualified to talk about as a white boy. Sitting. You're qualified to talk about anything. I no, I know, ridiculous. but I, I don't want to talk about. I don't feel my opinion is valid in the public realm right now. Oh man, I think that's fucking madness. I think that's absolutely nonsensical. Your no, opinion- I just don't have enough to say on it. But your opinion- it's not. I'm not educated enough. Right. In if it. you're if you're not educated, that's one thing. Although I would dispute that, man. I know you. I think you're coming at it more from a you don't feel entitled to to comment on it, and I think that's that's bullshit. Of course, you're entitled to comment on it. We're all entitled to comment on anything. 
Yeah, but I don't think the world needs my opinion right now on uh, it. Well, you know, <laughs> here, here's us deciding to do a podcast. Yeah. Well, yeah, I know. The world needs the, the opinions of three white men. <laughs> so, uh, another three white men. But I truly believe that my taste in music is the best. I do not believe that my opinions on race are the, the best. most educated. So, so t- I know you. I know you. Obviously, you're saying you th- it's, it seems a bit quote unquote suspect. I guess that he's on epitaph. For me, it kind of makes sense because I also all- think it's suspect he's the first hip hop artist you get into. And he's a white guy, and he's an epitaph. It was the second, technically, but the first guy was also white, as it happens, because <laughs> <laughs> um, it was Eminem. But I think, I think that's probably. I don't know if. See, I never really thought about the race thing. For me, it seems as though like epitaph and him share a lot of the same values because he has his own record label as well. He's got Strange Famous Records, and he, that is basically what he does for a living. You know, what I mean, and, and by say living, I'm not saying big loving. Like that's kind of his job, as it were putting out records for all the artists that he loves and that he works with and manages and whatever that kind of thing um, isn't that isn't that the hinge of cultural appropriation as a topic anyway we're afforded the luxury of not thinking about his race in the same way as uh, some, I'm not saying I'm but, not, but that yeah. is the thing we don't think about the race it didn't occur to us but it certainly occurs to the people who feel like their heritage has been taken from them See, it's in, the, the, one of the things that's interesting about that is when I first started listening to hip hop, I did feel that. Like, that was very obvious to me the fact that, well, this feels like I couldn't articulate at the time, but there was always a deep feeling within me thinking, well, particularly with Eminem, and I was younger, like, well, this is a white guy who's really famous for doing this, which is essentially a black art form. And most of the people who, have, who are famous for it at the time, when I was, you know, when I first started listening to Eminem, I guess, was probably 17, 18. And for me, it, felt, it made me feel deeply uncomfortable because it's like, well, why does he get it? And X person doesn't get it. I, got, I grew more comfortable with it, obviously, when it came to say France and stuff, and as I grew older, and yeah, maybe you're right, maybe it is like the privileged blinders, you know, it's a rose tinted glasses, you can't see what's in front of your face. Yeah, and I, I don't think that's to any malevolence, and I'm not even saying, even once you consider it, there may be nothing there, but the fact that we don't consider it reflects that privileged blindness, I think. I am far from on the side of frantically calling out cultural appropriation for everything I think some especially as regards things like food it's absurd in most cases it's misused but it is also relevant at times um, but obviously I think we're less likely to spot it yeah. because we are the dominant culture and I, 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 and again Sage if you're listening I'm come not talk smack talking you brother come, come talk to us about it because I'm pretty sure I mean if you are listening come talk to us about it because we'd love to talk more about it uh, like utmost respect uh, you get some quality thoughts going on there just you're a vessel for us to, to address something a little bit more substantive than I really like this record interestingly he was at the time with this record and you and a death dance always accused of being like emo hip hop there's a song is it Underground for Dummies just hip hop for the people stop calling it emo because people used to call him that I can kind of see what you're saying the cultural appropriation thing but it does often make reference to the artists that influenced him like KRS-One's a huge thing for him you can hear it and he's flowing and everything you can tell that's what he's getting a lot of his by KRS was he not a big outspoken vegetarian and vegan as well he was as it so happens yeah, yeah. clearly um, it did influence him eh? yeah and that's that's a really big thing for him but I think for, I, I guess I, like I said I didn't see the colour thing but I'm pretty sure KRS-One was into some pretty mad conspiracy theories as well though I can't remember off the top of my head but I remember reading about this recently yeah anyway sorry I think basically they work well together in terms of like their ethos, Epitaph and him. But like I said, maybe there is a race thing, I don't know. But that's the way I always seen it. I've just got one more request. Next week, mm-hmm. can we do something painfully white? Done. <laughs> the, most ang- the most angriest white boy music you've ever fucking heard. <laughs> I believe that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, so uh, I mean, any more thoughts on this? I mean, I did we think should talk was... about the record a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to talk about the record and like then Chris was like, ago, wait a minute, I've like, got, David, we've I've just got one yet. thing, <laughs> i just got one thing to say, 45 minutes later. We'll talk about the record. How much is the talk for did you listen to, Chris? Uh, some of the EPs, I listened to all the albums and I just dipped in and out the mixtapes, yeah. but it was too much oh, to really, lot, to follow. Mm. Um, I thought, as I said, I, pre- I preferred Life, I thought that was his best record on the kind of I, yeah. two or three listens that I gave that album, I listened to this one a lot more than that. But it, 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 yeah, there was there was a few moments in this that I thought were really good, but by and large, it didn't really kill for me. I thought there was a really great kind of bassline part that comes in in the first track, especially. Um, there were a couple of moments like that that worked, but over the piece it didn't really 
um, bottom of crumpets. Yeah. And you, I listened both. to a lot of, you know, I'd heard bits and bobs before and I listened to a lot in the last week. Um, and what I try and do is like listen to it for a few days and then not listen to any of it for a couple of days and then see what I think and want to mm-hmm. go back to. And this was the record I wanted to go back to, particularly the track, uh, Sun versus Moon. Yeah. Simply reflecting the shine from the moon Stealing its spotlight, they'll have a cockfight at noon To sell their differences at midnight rematch To serve their similarities on turntables The chicken scratch will prove to be unreadable The determining factor in who gets to pitch control the ties No one decides to victim unless they give a fair I don't know, that um, sort of offbeat thing just really stuck with me And like, there was just I This record was the one that had the most standout sounds on it for me of which, ironically, is the thing that I always go to rather than lyrics. I, mm. Just because I'm, oh, I was never really into lyrics. Yeah, tone junkie. Is, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's probably his most Sonic Adventures record, I'd say for sure. There's, there's good stuff I thought throughout. Is it escape sort of artist thing. that's got the really rapid fire rapping it? Yeah, it is, yeah. That's a really good song. Um, Dance Monkey is just a bit of fun, which I quite like. There's a really good video of Christopher Walken dancing to it, which... Is he thinking of Fatboy well, Slim? Well, <laughs> well he, he, basically put, he basically put Dance Monkey over that video and it, it sings up perfectly. <laughs> and released it on YouTube. It's quite funny. Dancing for money! I really like the chorus in Sea Lion. I the think one that's, like, a, that's one a single, it, right? isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, it's a great song. Is that a sample or did the well of them actually write that? I, f- oh, I don't know, actually. I wasn't sure. Um, I like Crumble I like the way that builds up Um, it's quite an interest it's like the most introspective lyrically as well it kind of foreshadows everything he does kind of more of his career as it goes on yeah there's a lot more of that kind of stuff on Human the Death Dance and then it, it just kind of spirals Copper Gone's got a lot of it there's a song on Copper Gone called Make Him Par which almost had me in tears when I first heard it he just talks about his mental health and his depression and his cats and it's just like properly powerful um, for me I like Ground Control quite a lot Lie Detector Tests quite cool um, Bridal kills it live absolutely fucking smashes it live with Bridal that's really really good to see live Summer fling is nothing like that sweet old song Tip over root the trees bend the leaves blend in With the open moon the freeze frames keep him warm The day's frost is scraped off the weight loss The new sign that says keep off as he speeds off into the storm Um, So Down Gandhi for me is probably one of the standard tracks But it hasn't aged very well particularly lyrically Whistleblower versus the pistol holder Case dismissed, they'll lock you up and throw away the key witness Justice is the whim of a judge Check his chest density It leaves much room for error And the rest left to destiny The West Memphis 3 lost paradise It's death penalty versus suicidal tendencies But yeah, this is just I like all the songs on this record I like, you know, I like all of his records But this is the most consistent for me I think he's a really interesting artist Um, As regards hip-hop with Uh a bit more going on intellectually yeah I, d- I dig that side of it that side of it's you know compelling as I said musically uh, yeah totally lukewarm on it personal journalist takes more risks than this does this is a lot safer in that regard but this is also I'm finding a sound that he kind of plows for the rest of his career so far and then he gets to the epic beardman stuff with B. Dolan which just came out this like this year and it's just brilliant it's really good live really. yeah yeah well, I'd be happy for this to go in. I think this is the only option for Sage, mm-hmm. personally. Yeah. And then Chris um, doesn't want any I'm gonna say white no. men in it. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're trying to fulfill a quota <laughs> in the canon here, so yeah, we need to keep the whitey out. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think I preferred Life as an album, and even then I'm not entirely sure I would put it in. I mean, I think 
if you were to compare this to POS, for me it's quite a quite a gulf. I think POS musically is far more compelling. So no, I wouldn't put it in. Okay, that's fair. Well, the power is now in your hands, public. So please go on our Facebook page and vote. And next up, next week, uh, uh, honky as fuck. <laughs> yeah. I think I chose this record, but yes. I've never seen somebody more excited than you about this record. Absolutely. I mean, I, I was like, yeah. It's Bosch and We Are the Romans. We it's taking me back. Romans. <laughs> uh, so if you like uh, white guys loud jumping music, about, yeah, then yeah. come back. Please go vote on our Facebook page. As I said, um, if you can, leave us a rating and review on iTunes because they're always fun. We got a really good one recently. Apparently, our accents are too strong. I the fuck you're talking about me Wind your neck in you mad bastard <laughs> <laughs> uh, Thanks guys Thank you Bye Holler at your boys Holler at your boys Holler at your boys Holler at your boys You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.